pit's different here always. That was just such a lovely worship set. Thanks to the band. Um, but again, my name is Nick Grounds. To those who don't know, I'm on staff here at the Lewis House full time. Get a, get a shout out for the Lewis House right here. Love it. And so again, I'm truly blessed to be here with y'all tonight as we're in our second week of this series called Define Your Terms. Define Your Terms. So I know Brian brought it last week talking about freedom. And tonight we're going to talk about uh, this, this famous word, maybe some of you have heard of it, it's the word love. But before we do that, can I just say, I know we just prayed, can I just say a very quick prayer for us? Is that okay? Uh, let me pray for us. Um, Lord, thank you so much for tonight. God, I just pray tonight, if, if someone needs to hear about your love, Lord, again, would you move in ways that my words don't? In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name. Uh, so I'd like to start, if it's cool, can I tell you guys a bit about myself? Because I'm still new here. I want to get to know you. I want you to get to know me. Um, so I want to start uh, by telling you about some, something about myself, a few things. But let me, let me start by squashing a little rumor. Uh, so there was this rumor going around a few weeks ago uh, that me and Kate, if you guys know Kate, that Kate and I were married. Okay, so there was this rumor bouncing around that Kate and I were married. And so I just want to be very clear that Kate and I are not married. Uh, Kate is actually my twin sister. So she, she is, she's my day one. Like, we've been together every day of life, not literally. You get the picture. And so just to be clear, uh, Kate and I are not married siblings, not wife. <laughs> and so I just wanted to make sure that's perfectly clear. Kate is not my wife. She is my twin sister. Uh, but I do have a wife. I do have a wife. Uh, her name is Karin. I think I have a picture of the two of us. And so that's my wife. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. I, you, would, you would do that. I'm a big fan. Uh, so my wife, Karin, we've been, we've been together for 13 years, so I just turned 30 this year, which is like, uh, you know, wave of like, man, new decade, but just turned 30 this year. Uh, Karin and I have been together since high school. Actually, in high school, I went on a trip to Northern Ireland, which is where she's from, and so I went on a trip, on a trip over there, and it was, it was kind of weird that we ended up, I ended up marrying someone that I met on a high school trip overseas. That doesn't seem to happen a lot, you know, but nevertheless, you know, she ended up coming here to college, and the rest is history. We just, we got married, and it's been been fantastic. We've been married for seven years now, um, and it's been such a blessing. The Lord has been so, so good to us. Like when I look back on the past 10 years of my life, and I see how the puzzle pieces, all these disparate puzzle pieces have come together uh, to have the wife I do. Man, it's just been such a cool story. So we are so blessed. And, and speaking of being blessed, and speaking of the goodness of God, let me say, uh, back in February, we had this, we had this little one make her, her grand debut. Oh, guys, yeah. Whew. Oh, she is, I, look, at, look at those blue eyes. I mean, oh, she is, isn't she something? Oh, she, she is eight months old. This is our precious Aoife. And so I, I do every chance I get, man, I'm bringing her to CSF. So like, I know most of the staff has met her. Some of you have probably met her. Uh, let me just tell y'all, my heart, my heart is so full. Like, I mean, being a dad, I, I didn't know how special it was going to be until I was one. And it is, my goodness, it is just such an am amazing thing. She is, she is amazing. Her name is Aoife. Don't try to spell it. It's Irish. Um, I will, I'll spoil it. It's A-O-I-F-E, which is quite unique. We just wanted to, uh, to pick a, a classic Gaelic name just to honor where my, 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 my wife is from. Uh, but, yeah, we love her so much. Being a parent is such a blessing. And, of course, we also have uh, these, these chunky boys uh, so I'm a big, y'all, I'm a cat person. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I know, I know, I'm a big cat person. I love animals, but man, so we got three um, down here in the left corner. So this is Mayweather, okay, yeah, named after, Floyd, named after Floyd Mayweather. We got in the middle is McGregor, and then we've got down here in the corner, we've got Fury. And so we love our cats. They drive me crazy, not going to lie to you. My cats drive me crazy, but I love them. They're, they're fantastic. 
Uh, but let me start tonight by saying this. Let me, let me kind of transition to start talking about some things. Let me start with saying uh, that I genuinely, man, I love my family. I really do. I, I don't use that term lightly. Like, I love my family. Actually, I can't think of a word more fitting to accurately describe my deep affection for them. I love them. And so I choose to say this. I choose to say that I love my family because, again, I don't think there's a word that better describes the posture of my heart towards them. It's the best word I can think of, love. And love is actually, man, it's the term we're going to talk about tonight. Love is the term I want to talk about. Not only is love a term that appropriately captures my affections and feelings towards my family, and I'm going to say my dearest friends too because I, I truly love my friends. Because, again, it communicates the posture of my heart towards them. But, man, it is a word that is, like, so essential to the Christian faith, isn't it? Love. This word, love. And so we chose this word. When we were thinking about this series, we chose this word, love, not only because it's a fact that it's so central to the Christian faith, love, but also because love, man, it's a loaded term, isn't it? Love is a loaded term. And there's all kinds of opinions about what love is and what love isn't. But I feel like I can confidently assume, again, that most of us, most of us recognize that there's just something special about the word love, yeah? Man, there's something special about it. There's something deeper beneath the surface about this word. When spoken at just the right moment, it, man, it's tender and sweet. Love. And on that note, I also want to say just in general, man, we're talking about the series Define Your Terms. Words in general are powerful. They are. Words are powerful tools. Uh, with our words, we have the ability to tear things down or to build things up. Uh, to speak life in truth or lies in deceit. Words are powerful tools. Uh, point blank, words matter. Again, if you want to go spend some time this week in James chapter 3 and 4, he'll really get into that. That words matter, the things we say matter. But again, I can't think of many words that I can utter, that I can say, that have as much meaning and weight behind them as this word love. And so that's why tonight I want to spend some time, man, just talking about this wonderful, famous word, love, to make sure we do justice to something that is like the heartbeat of the Christian faith. Is that good with y'all? Is that cool if we talk about love? Man, let's do it. So I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about this. When we think about this idea of love. Think about a moment in your life where, like, maybe somebody told you they love you and it just hit different. Like, it hits you sideways. Like, think about that for a second. I think we can all agree that there is just something about being told we are loved, when we hear those words, I love you, that is just sublime. It's different, isn't it? Uh, maybe you think back to the first time, maybe, maybe in high school, maybe it was in college, somebody told you that you really liked, that they loved you for the first time. I mean, it's a big deal, isn't it? Like, when you drop the L word in a relationship, like, man, things change. It goes to a different level. Like, I remember back when I was in high school, I was actually watching the sunset with my wife. It's, like, perfect watching the sunset, and she told me she loved me, and I told it to her back, and like, you know, my heart was racing, you know, my hands were trembling as I said it back to her. Maybe that's a feeling T-Swift and Travis Kelsey know all too well. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. It's a thing. It's a thing. We'll find out. Time will tell, okay? But man, yo, love, love is powerful, isn't it? Love is powerful. Y'all, I think back uh, to when I was a kid. So uh, growing up, I was a competitive golfer. I played competitive golf growing up, and 
Uh, yeah, it was, it was, I loved it. I both loved and hated it. But I had some days where, like, again, if you play golf, you know this. I had some days where I would just have a really, I see you. I had, I had some days where I'd really just struggle on the course. I'd get my butt handed to me. I remember it would just, like, absolutely crush my teenage ego coming off the course, having a bad day. And I remember being on the car ride home. And, again, I didn't show it because I was just mad and I was angry. But when my dad, like, after those days, you know, he'd come watch all my tournaments. But hearing my dad tell me, you know what, Nick, I, I know you didn't play well today, but I'm proud of you and I love you. You know, it was like the recipe for the moment. That's what I needed to hear. And again, I didn't show that to him at the time. But man, when my dad told me he loved me and he was proud of me, those words, man, they meant something to me. They still do to this day. Y'all think about a time when maybe you grasped the love of God for the first time and that like hit you sideways. Yeah. Like maybe for some of you it was at fall retreat or maybe it was just like at a normal night of synergy like tonight. I'm not sure. But I remember, man, like a couple years ago, I was, I was at my church in Lexington. I was a pa- previous, before coming on staff here, I was a church, I was a, I was a pastor at a church in Lexington for about five years. And there was this day, I was going through some tough stuff, and, and there was this meeting of local pastors happening at our church. And so I kind of snuck in, I asked my boss, who's our lead minister, I was like, hey, can I come sit in on this for a little bit? I just want to listen to you guys talk. And so I came in and I sat down, and man, like, I know all of them, but like, uh, soon, I'm not really sure how we got there, but I think I started tearing up a little bit because I was just moved by the fact that all these pastors had come to our church and they were praying and there were some cool things being said. I was really excited about what was going on. And somehow, again, I'm not sure how, how it happened, but their attention turned to me and they decided to lay hands, and, lay hands on me and pray over me. And y'all, there aren't many moments in my life where I've like literally been moved to tears by the words of others, but like that, in that moment, like I felt so cherished and loved to hear them pray like, like Nick, man, he's beloved, he's God's beloved, to hear those words spoken over me, man, it just hit me sideways, it really did. Love, again, I just want to stress, love is a powerful term, isn't it? Love is a powerful term. And if you know me, you know, uh, speaking of love, if you know me, you know I'm a sucker for a good love movie. (laughs) So any movie fans in here? Like, I absolutely love movies. So it's not just my favorite movie, but I would say that my family's collective favorite movie as a whole is this movie called About Time. Oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah, so good. It's, do you say his name? Is it Domhnall Gleeson? Is that right? For those who know, is it Domhnall? Is it, I don't know. But anyways, him and Rachel McAdams, whatever his name is, Domhnall Gleeson. Is that right? I think I said it right. Domhnall Gleeson and Rachel McAdams, they star in this movie. Big fan, like this weird sort of like time travel sci-fi movie, but it's a love story. Again, just do yourself a favor. Shameless plug. Go watch it and also sign up for Far Retreat. Shameless plug for that too. (laughs) But had to give the movie a shout out. Love it. And while that's like one of my favorite love films, I'm also a huge Christopher Nolan fan. Like any Christopher Nolan fans, man, he's got some absolute banger movies. Like they're so good. You got to love Batman The Dark Knight, yeah? Like, my goodness, so good. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises, too. Who doesn't love Bane? Like, I was born in the darkness. Like, cl- absolutely classic. Okay. Uh, also, this is like a super OG, but one of my favorite films by, by Christopher Nolan is this movie called The Prestige. Anybody seen that? Yeah. That movie is fire. Like, it is so good. I absolutely love that movie. And I know many of us probably saw Oppenheimer that just came out. Okay, quick question. Did anybody take the Barbenheimer challenge? Whoa, okay. So the Barbenheimer challenge, watch Barbie and Oppenheimer in the same day. You're crazy. I couldn't do it. Oppenheimer's like three hours. I couldn't do another movie. I, it, was, it was good. I liked Oppenheimer. Um, but I want to be clear. So Oppenheimer's good. Uh, I liked it. But my favorite Christopher Nolan film, I think it's close. It's a tight race. Uh, you got to love the Batman films. But my favorite is this movie called Interstellar. Yeah! Oh, man. Woo! 
It is, man, besides having like the most dynamite soundtrack to study to of all time, like this week, y'all, if you're trying to study, pop on the Interstellar soundtrack. Listen to me, it's good. Uh, besides having like the most dynamite soundtrack of all time, like I love, I love that soundtrack. And there's, some, there's this really cool TikTok going around of some guy playing at an airport, if you guys have seen that, it's really cool. Um, but there's this powerful scene. There's this really powerful scene between Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey's character where they have this conversation about love. Check this out. Love isn't something we invented. It's observable, powerful. It has to mean something. Love has meaning, yes. Social utility, social bonding, child rearing. We love people who have died. Where's the social utility in that? None. Maybe it means something more, something we can't yet understand. Maybe it's some evidence, some artifact of a higher dimension that we can't consciously perceive. I'm drawn across the universe to someone I haven't seen in a decade who I know is probably dead. Love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Man. Yeah, Anne Hathaway. <laughs> Man, love is a powerful term, isn't it? Love is a powerful term. And as followers of Jesus, love has an entirely different dimension to it, pun intended. <laughs> Especially when we think about the words in 1 John, where Jesus says, anyone who does not love does not know God. And if you know this, say it with me, because God is love. God is love. John tells us that God, by his very nature, is love. Love is at the very center of our faith because the God we worship is a loving God. And this isn't something that happened one day by accident. Uh, before the creation of the world, from all eternity, God existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A divine and holy union created that, that was eternally charged by the love they had for each other. Again, from all eternity, God existed. And at the very center of his life, the very center of God's life is love. And of course, as followers of Jesus, we celebrate the good news of the gospel. The reason we have hope, man, and we come together here tonight to worship and sing is because the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, stepped into creation to die on a cross for our sins. Amen? I mean, that's the good news. And he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures so that we too can have new life, to share in the new life of Jesus. This is the good news. And we, we talk about love so much, the love of God, the love we're supposed to have for him, the love we're supposed to have for others. Y'all probably know this Bible verse well. You know where I'm going with this. John 3, 16. Probably the most famous Bible verse in the New Testament, which simply says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Again, baked right into the most popular Bible verse of all time, potentially the goat, the most popular Bible verse of all time, is this picture of God's great love for us, isn't it? Can we see it there? We see a love that is expressed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Love. And think about this for a moment. As often happened during Jesus' time on earth. You know, he spent time with a lot of people, Jesus, when he was here. One day while teaching, Jesus was suddenly confronted by a well-respected teacher of the law. And this teacher comes up to him and asks him, he's like, hey, you Jesus, like which, you know, all these commandments we have in the Bible, all these commandments in the Old Testament, like which one of these is the greatest of all? Literally, like what is the goat of all commandments? And Jesus says this. 
He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is the first and greatest. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Basically what he's saying there is all this, the whole purpose of the law. The reason the prophets came was to point to this reality. That to love God more than, with everything we have. To love God with everything, the most. That's the first and greatest commandment. But secondly, man, is to love others as well. To, not just to love others somewhat, but to love them as ourselves. You see, love is the common thread in these two commandments. Love is essential to the Christian life. Love is what we as Christ's followers are called to. I mean, maybe tonight some of you just need to be reminded of the love of God, man, that he loves you so much, like the depth of the Father's love for you. Maybe some of you just need to be reminded of the great love God has for us tonight. And this point is so important, actually, talking about love and the Father's love for us, uh, that Paul has a lot to say about this, like Maddie read earlier for the scripture reading. Uh, Paul's so passionate about, about love, and he thinks it's so significant that in this very poetic and beautiful fashion, he says this, and I want you to catch on to what he says. There's a bit of a rhythm here. It's very poetic. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I don't have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that man can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. It's a man who's pretty serious about love, isn't it? Friends, let me stress this again. It isn't just that love is a powerful term in and of itself. That's obviously true. Love is essential to the Christian faith. I could bounce all over scripture accenting this point tonight. Love is absolutely essential to our faith. But in light of this, in light of this, let me ask you this question. What, what does love actually mean? <laughs> what does love actually mean? What does it mean to love someone? I think sometimes we have these sort of vague intuitions of what that means. We understand it's powerful. We get it. But what does it mean? Because here's the deal. Our culture and the world around us has all kinds of definitions of love. And here in just a bit, I want to address some misconceptions, some common misconceptions about love. But again, what does love mean? You know, when thinking about this question, fortunately, Fortunately, there's been a lot of Christian thinkers through history who are way smarter and wiser than me that attempted to answer this. Uh, one person is perhaps the most famous theologian of all time. Many reckon, re recognize him as the most famous theologian of all time, if not one of the most famous and the most significant. His name is Thomas Aquinas, and he lived in the Middle Ages in Italy. And Aquinas had a lot to say about this. He had a lot to say about love. And he, like many of us, recognizes that there are all kinds of ways to express or demonstrate our love whether it be through our actions or our emotions, there's all kinds of ways to demonstrate our love. But for, for Thomas, there still seems to be something about love that is truly deeper than that, truly deeper than just the actions we express. There's something buried inside of us that love is concerned with. And so being as precise as possible, Thomas Aquinas defines love as the deepest, man, it's the deepest affection and passion of my heart. It's the deepest affection and passion of my heart. 
And for him, to love someone, to really love someone, is to will or to desire what's truly good for them. To honestly want what's best for them. Put simply, to love someone is to deeply be concerned for their well-being. To have a deep, lasting concern for their well-being. Love is to desire what is truly good for the one I love. That's what Aquinas thinks about that. It's this deep concern I have for others. And it lasts, persists. Love is something that is deep within us. Love is something that resides in the inner recesses of my heart and my soul. It is the very posture, I used this language earlier, it's the very posture of my heart towards others. Think about it this way. Um, Do I genuinely, when I ask myself if I love people, do I genuinely desire good for others? Do I genuinely desire good for others? Or is my heart filled with bitterness wanting to see others fall? Do I rejoice when my friends succeed? Or am I filled with a deep jealousy and envy at the sight of other successes? Do I really want what's best for my friends and those in my life? Or am I deeply self-centered and preoccupied with my own desires and happiness first and foremost? Do I long to see those around me thriving? Is that something I genuinely want to see in my friends' lives? Or would I secretly prefer they languish and fail? rooting against them secretly. And so it may sound a bit cliche, but love really and truly, we talk about love being something in our hearts. But it's true. There is something about the deepest state of our heart and soul that love is first and foremost concerned with, and that's what Aquinas talks about. That it begins here in the depths of our soul, buried within. Again, love first and foremost has to do with the posture of my heart towards others, and someone who genuinely loves others always wants what's good for them. That's their first and basic desire they have towards them. But listen, I don't want to just leave it there, okay? It sounds great that love is buried within, that it's something in, in, in the depths of our heart and our soul. But I think it's important to add that love, man, it doesn't stay there. Love doesn't stand still. Love, isn't, love is something that stirs us from within and moves us to act, isn't it, when we genuinely love somebody, Love demands something of me. Love demands that I do something about it. And when we look at Jesus' teachings about love throughout the New Testament, we see this demonstrated time and again. He says things like, you'll know a tree by its fruit, doesn't he? You'll know a tree by its fruit, meaning that if you have love for God and others in your heart, it will show in your actions. Jesus says things like, if you really love me, if you really and truly love me, you will obey my commandments to love others. He says says things like, whatever you do unto the least of these, those who have very little, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. In other words, he says, when you do something for someone who has little, when you bless someone, really you're blessing me. He says things, man, there's this, there's, this, there's this wonderful parable about the Good Samaritan, which just hits sideways. It always does. Uh, but Jesus says this, and I love the parable of the Good Samaritan. The basic point of the message is that the true neighbor is the person who, irrespective of social circumstances or other outstanding factors, helps somebody in need. That's the true neighbor. And so, friends, when I think about the word love in the gospel, I see a Jesus who is, yes, concerned with the state of our hearts. Don't get me wrong. Deep within us, he wants to see this genuine good posture towards others, that we should have goodwill towards others. But more than this, Jesus wants to see this put into motion. He wants to see love put into motion. 
There's a key point here I want to stress about love. Man, I think it's fair to say that proper love really demands something of us. Love demands something of us. Real love demands devotion. Love demands that we be dedicated and, to, to, and devoted to those that we love. It demands something of us. One of my favorite books, one of my favorite books of all time. Any Lord of the Rings fans in here? Okay. Man, I love the Lord of the Rings. Uh, so actually, I, I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed of this. I just turned 30 this year. I, I read this series for the first time like, like two years ago. And it, cha- it was amazing. Like I put it down and I was just like, <laughs> like, what did I just read? You know, I mean, it's, it's really special, the Lord of the Rings. But it's just this fantastic story. It's an amazing story. And I think in this, we see one of the purest depictions of love and friendship. I really do. After a long, epic journey, for those who don't know what's going on, this long, epic journey through this place called Middle Earth, uh, towards the end of the series, we see two friends, two hobbits, Samwise and Frodo, like, man, dynamic duo. Samwise and Frodo are climbing up this fiery mountain called Mount Doom. And Frodo has been tasked with, with carrying this ring of power that's wreaked havoc on the world. He's been tasked with, with bringing this ring of power to this mountain to toss it into the fires where it can be permanently destroyed. And as they're climbing this mountain, there comes a point where the main character, Frodo, he can't go any further. The ring bearer collapses. He collapses. And what's important here is, again, if this mission fails, evil prevails. Like, this is the last hope against defeating evil forever. Uh, But seeing his friend's exhaustion, this is the unsung hero of the story, seeing his friend's exhaustion on the final leg of the journey, and after watching Frodo collapse, Sam picks, up and, Sam picks him up, slings him over his shoulder, and he says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Yeah, it's like, man, like, that's such a picture of friendship, you know, and love. He picks his, he's like, I can't carry the weight of your sin for you, Frodo, but I, I can carry you. You know, and we see this picture of the cross in here where Jesus carries us. He takes our sin for us. He carries us. It's this amazing imagery. But what, what, the reason I bring this up and the reason it's so important is because you have to see that when you love somebody, it demands something. At multiple times throughout this story, Sam's trying to, trying, or Frodo's trying to get away from Sam. He's like, buddy, this doesn't concern you. Go home. Go back and enjoy the village. Go back and be with our people. And time and again, Sam says, no, I'm coming with you to the very end. And again, we see this wonderful, amazing display of love. Love demands something of us. It does. And because of this, when we really love someone, there's a few, a few, a few key things I want us to think about. Just a, just a few things. At first, when we love someone, we desire what is good for them. We genuinely desire what is good for them. We have goodwill towards them. And I want to be clear, that doesn't always mean that we can satisfy their needs. That's not what I'm saying. But nevertheless, my posture, the posture of my heart towards them is one of goodwill. I want you to have what you need. I want you to be taken care of. Again, that's the first thing. We desire what is good for them. A second, we desire a relationship with them. We desire a relationship with them. Love is relational and persistent. We have a relationship with the Lord. One of the great things about loving God is he has a relationship with us. We get to know him on an interpersonal level. But love is relational. The third point is this. We are concerned for their needs. If we love somebody, we are concerned for their needs just as much as our own, if not more. Again, we don't, this third point, I want to be clear as well. It isn't that we always perfectly put their needs ahead of our own. Like, no one's perfect. I'm not saying that. 
but because we value them and we recognize that their needs are just as important. And so when I say that I love my wife, like when I say that I love Karin with all my heart, I'm saying that I deeply care for her and her well-being. So much so that I vowed to love and serve her in sickness and in health until we are separated by death. I made a solemn promise to her seven years ago to always stand by her side and take care of her no matter the circumstances. You see, our love is not built on, on some fleeting feeling that changes, in, you know, that changes with the ebbs and flows of life. Our love for each other is securely rooted on the covenant promise we made together before God, our friends, and our family. And when we understand the love of God, it brings a whole different dimension to the love we have for each other. And that much is certainly true for marriage. And let me be clear, romantic love isn't the only love I'm concerned with. It's not the only form of love. I have a deep affection for my friends. I'm guessing you guys do too. I'm sure you love your friends. I'm sure you love your friends. And Jesus has quite a bit to say about this. He has quite a bit to say about love amongst friends. After all, he loved his friends very dearly. In the Gospel of John, Jesus commands us to be a fellowship of friends marked by the very same love he has for us, saying this. You can follow along with me on the screen. A new command I give you. As I have loved you, or love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Again, this is so important. First, and I want to stress this as well. First, because he doesn't just tell us, Jesus doesn't just tell us that we should love each other, does he? He doesn't suggest that we should love each other. Jesus commands us to love each other as he loved us. He commands us to do this. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And when you think about it, this is a pretty big ask. Like, this is a pretty big ask, isn't it? Uh, Considering he was willing to go to the cross on our behalf, that he was willing to lay down his life for us and his friends, because that's how much he loved us, and yet he... He calls us. He calls us to have the same kind of love for each other that he demonstrated for us. I mean, that's a big deal, isn't it? A love that's willing to lay down its life for one's friends. But that's the love he's calling us to, a love that genuinely, sacrificially gives itself for the good of others. And so in in the Greek language, I'm sure maybe some of you guys know this, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, and there's a few different words for love. Um, many of you, you guys heard the, the city Philadelphia. I'm sure you guys know this. In Pen- Anybody from Pennsylvania just out of curiosity? No? Okay. Philadelphia is a city in Pennsylvania. And I bring that up, not randomly, but because uh, in, in Philadelphia we have this word philia, which is, is a kind of brotherly love in Greek. Philia is one word for love in Greek. We have a couple of others. One is eros, which is a romantic, passionate kind of love. But there's one form of love, and maybe some of you guys know this, there's one word for love that is like the greatest of all loves. It's the kind of love God has for us. It's the kind of love we've been talking about, a self-sacrificing kind of love, and it's expressed by this word agape. You say it with me, agape. Agape. That was well said. Whoever said that, that was great. Agape is the highest form of love, again, because this is the kind of love God has for himself, and not just the kind of love that God has for us, but it's the kind of love that he has for himself in the sense amongst the inner, inner circle of the Trinity. The love that the Father has for the Son and the love that the Son has for the Father, it's expressed by this word, agape. Again, uh, I want to stress this. Love demands something of us. When we think about this word agape, we think of this self-sacrificing kind of love, a love that is willing to give something of itself 
for the sake of the beloved. Again, like Sam Wise trudging up the mountain with Frodo on his back, love demands something of us, true love, agape love, yeah? And so here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. So I'm not going to go too much longer. But I want to go back to the passage that we started with, 1 Corinthians 13, that Maddie read for us at the beginning. Uh, this is often called the love passage. If you've been to a wedding, I'm sure you've read this before. It's, oft, it's oftentimes read at weddings. I had it read at my own. But what I love about this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, is that as Paul writes, as Paul writes this, he makes some helpful clarifications about what love is and also what love is not. And so I want to read this middle section together just to stress some of these. So the first thing that Paul says, Paul says that love, love is patient. It's the first thing he says. Love is patient. Paul says love is kind. Love is kind. It does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not proud. Love is not proud. Paul says, love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. Hang on to that one because we're going to come back to it here in a second. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. And last but not least, he says, love never fails. And so we see this kind of dance back and forth in this passage between what love is and what love is not, kind of like the classic flower game. She loves me, she loves me not. And Paul's dancing back and forth between these key characteristics of love. This is what it is, hey, and this is what it's not. I want to be clear about that. And so what I want to do is I want to look at just three of these things, man, three of these things that Paul stresses in this passage. Just briefly, because I think that, again, if we look carefully at Scripture, we'll see, again, a clearer picture of some of the things we've already been talking about. And first, I want you to think about this idea, this idea that love is not self-seeking. This is one of the things Paul tells us, that love is not self-seeking. We live in a cultural moment where we hear expressions like, live your truth, or you do you, or you just got to do what's right for you. And what's interesting about these expressions, if you think about these carefully, what's interesting about this is at the very center of them is this word you. It's this word you. You are the center of importance. You are the most important thing. You come first always when we think this way. And don't get me wrong, and I want to make this clear. We are, you are valuable. We are valued. We are loved. Hear me say, you matter. You have dignity. You have self-worth. And anyone who genuinely loves you will believe this about you and will see this to be true. But the picture of love that we've been building tonight as willing the good for the person you love, this picture has no room for selfishness. This kind of love that Jesus commands us to, it has no room for selfishness. I like this expression because I think it paints the picture well. Love is other-centered, not self-centered. Love is other-centered, not self-centered. We need to remember the fact that love will cost us something. Love demands devotion, doesn't it? Love means that we often place the needs of those we love ahead of our own, and that means sacrifice on our end at times. Like, look, sometimes I get home from work. You guys know I have cats. The last thing I want to do is change the cat's litter boxes. It sucks. <laughs> it's not good. 
But when I see that my wife's tired and she's had a long day, I know what love demands of me. I know what love demands of me. Or sometimes I don't want to sit down with my friends and have the conversation over and over again about the dating choices they're making. But I love them. And I know what love demands of me. I know what love demands of me. If you know, you know. (laughs) Sometimes I don't want to help my friends move. My friends move all the time. Like apartment to apartment. (laughs) My boys hit me up like, hey man, like I'm moving again. I'm like, all right, I I guess I'm there. But again, I know what love demands of me. The fact of the matter is we can't buy into this idea that somehow a life that is entirely self-centered is compatible with the love that Christ calls us to. We can't buy into this lie. Love is not self-seeking, Paul tells us. Love is not self-seeking. And Paul also tells us, and I love this one, that love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. There's this common misconception about love that to love somebody or to be a friend is to accept everything about them without question. It's a common view about love. That to be a true friend is just to listen, to be compassionate, to be supportive, and to be encouraging. That when someone declares something about themselves, it's not our job to challenge them. Rather, it's our job as their friend just to accept them. This is a picture of love and friendship I see so often today. That real love and friendship is just to offer unequivocal support of your friend, whoever they choose to be, or whatever they choose to do. And y'all, I just want to be honest with you. I don't want friends like this. Genuinely. I don't want friends like that. I mean, maybe it sounds good at first, but what kind of a friendship is that? Look, sure, we all want friends that accept us and like us. I'm not diminishing the importance of compassion and encouragement. Those are good things. But y'all, I want friends who are willing to speak the honest truth to me when I need to hear it. That's the kind of friend I want. I want friends who hold me accountable to the goodness that I'm called to. I want friends to hold me accountable to Christ's likeness. That's the kind of friend I want. If I'm making a colossal mistake in my life, I hope my friends who say they love me are the ones who will sit me down and honestly speak truth to me. Y'all hear me say this again, love rejoices in the truth. It's not to say it's easy. It's tough. Love is difficult. Telling the truth when it hurts is tough. But real love is difficult. Because real love is honest. And again, Paul stresses that love delights in the truth. And it always guides and shepherds towards truth. A mentor of mine once said, I love this. He said, be friends with the people who are willing to tell you that you have mustard on your face. (laughs) Be friends with the people who are willing to tell you that you have mustard on your face. It's kind of like a silly rule. But the deeper point he's making is that you should seek friendship with people that are going to keep you accountable in life, to make you more like Jesus. You should seek friendship with people who are willing to speak the honest truth to you when you really need to hear it. Again, love rejoices in the truth. And this is the last point I want to make. I want to close with this. Paul tells us that love always perseveres. Love always perseveres. And more than that, Paul Paul says love never fails. Love never fails. Uh, There's this popular idea that love is just a feeling. That love is just a sentiment. And if my feelings of love fade away, then maybe that's a justification to just flat out end the relationship. Whether it's romantic or it's a friendship, uh, love lasts as long as my feelings remain true. It's a popular view of love as well. And I actually think this vision of love is really popular for how we view our relationship with God. Like, man, sometimes we're on this spiritual high, 
And we're like, man, if I'm feeling the feels, like, yeah, I love you, God. It's great. But then, you know, when we, we step out of that kind of feeling, our feelings change. Maybe our perspective on God changes with it. But friends, this is not the picture of the kind of love we see demonstrated in the Bible by Jesus. Paul tells us that love never fails. Love never ends. Love perseveres. Uh, Let me say it this way. The command of Christ is to love others as he has loved us, and this command never ceases for us. Not now and not in eternity. The command of Christ to love others, that is something that reigns true from now, again, all the way into eternity. We are always called to love each other. Love never fails. It is a command that always persists. We are always called to love. And when you truly love someone, I think it's worth saying, man, like the relationship is worth fighting for, isn't it? Like when you truly love a friend, the relationship is worth fighting for. Um, Over time, I think it's easy if we're not careful. Like with little things that happen in a relationship to get passive, to get passive aggressive and just let a relationship slip to the wayside. Like I think back to college. Um, I lived over off Waller Street. Man, I lived over off Waller with one of my close, close friends, actually a group of my close friends. And look, y'all, we had some, it was great. Like, I love living with my friends, but we had some serious roommate beef. Like, it was some serious issues. Like, I was there for, like, six months and moved out. Didn't say a word. Like, told my guys, I told my friends, I'm like, I'm moving out, I'm done. And, and honestly, one of my friendships from that apartment took a serious hit. It's a serious hit. And again, it started with small things, but over time it manifested, these small things manifested into something greater, and we had this schism in our relationship for years. But man, I'm so glad because like three years ago, man, that buddy, he reached out to me and he's like, dude, let's sit down, let's talk. And straight up, he asked me, he's like, dude, what happened to our friendship? Straight up, like what happened to our friendship? And with some prayer and honestly talking through the things, we finally uh, mended the problem. And as painful as it was to have this conversation, to rehash the past, our, our friendship is now stronger than ever. Again, love perseveres, doesn't it? Like, real love perseveres. It's worth it. The relationship is worth it. Y'all, maybe someday you want to get married. Maybe some of you want to get married someday, which is, let me, hear, let me tell you, it's a wonderful thing. Again, the fruits of marriage are just beautiful. But let me challenge you with this. Take, man, take your vows seriously if you do. Until death do us part isn't just an empty line and a vow that that I made to my wife. It is my solemn promise to her that I will love her all the days of my life. And because of this, we both have confidence in the fact that our love is rooted in more than just the way we feel. Our love is secured in the solemn promise we made before God to each other. That's a powerful kind of love. It provides a confidence that feelings don't. Again, love, this is just another way to express, love doesn't fail. Love persists. Love persists. I want to be clear as well, this, this doesn't mean that relationships in general won't change. I'm sure some of you guys can testify that so many of your relationships through time have changed, from your friends in high school or middle school to even now, I'm sure some of your relationships have changed. But the one thing that has to remain the same as followers of Jesus, the one thing that always has to remain the same is that we have this constant posture of love towards others. Even as the dynamic of our relationships change and other things change in life, we have to have that constant posture of love towards others. Love is what Christ commands of us. It's what he commands of us. It is a love that is not self-seeking. It is a love that rejoices in the truth. It is a love that never fails. Again, friends, when we say the term love as followers of Jesus, this is what we really have in mind. The very same love that Christ has for us. The same love that God has for us that led him to come down in the first place. Can I pray for us?
I pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. Lord, there is so much more we could say about this word. But tonight, man, I just, I just want to ask that as we go into this next worship set, that we would just be reflective, not so much about what we could say about love, but Lord, how you demonstrated it for us. Jesus, in, your, in the books we call the Gospels in the New Testament, there is just a lifetime of wisdom to learn from you. Lord, you showed us perfect love on display, God. I ask that as a ministry, I ask that as a ministry, CSF would just have love at the very center of it, God. That we would desire truth. We would not be self-seeking. But Lord, we would be a ministry that is marked by love, your love, Father, and that we could bring it to a campus and to a world that needs to hear it. So in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.